Hi there. Welcome back to the Park Street Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Andres Correa, and we've seen some major players adapting their portfolios through mergers and acquisitions, with several up-and-coming beverage alcohol categories gaining steam and consumer preferences continuing to shift. But M&A is an ever-evolving landscape, and even in 2023, the Park Street University team is starting to see new kinds of deals come to the fore. So to help you keep up with what's happening in M&A, today's episode features a presentation from Ryan Lake of Arlington Capital Advisors. Ryan will take you through the major trends driving M&A right now and cover the hot categories, the packaging types, and the new technologies that are generating excitement among consumers and investors alike. For those less familiar with how these deals usually take shape, Ryan will also outline the forms that M&A deals are taking right now and get specific about the differences between acquisitions and investments and partnerships. Ryan also synthesizes his M&A overview into some best practices for what brands can do to align with these trends. So we won't keep you waiting any longer. Please enjoy this talk with Ryan Lake. Today we're talking about sort of trends we're seeing within the world of spirits and RTD spirits. By way of very brief background, Arlington Capital Advisors, we are a consumer-focused investment banking firm. We advise and represent people and companies on raising capital or selling their brands or businesses or transactions of that nature. And I would start with, as a whole at Arlington, we try to view the world starting with the consumer first and then working outward to the various tiers and spheres of influence within beverage. All of that leads us into what is the consumer doing and what does this mean for investment and M&A activity within spirits? So generally, it means sort of a framework of three or four different things, which will lead strategic buyers, financial investors, brand owners. Uh, they will all be trying to figure out where the consumer is going, as I said, and how that affects how they invest in their brands and new brands and new companies. Um, so we sort of start with buyers and investors are, first of all, sort of looking at, you know, what are the hot categories right now? And, you know, some of these have been hot for a long time. Some are hot more recently. But if you look sort of in general within spirits, obviously tequila, mezcal, anything agave based has been hot for years based on demographics and consumption patterns should be hot for many more years. So anything agave based is of high interest right now to strategics. Uh, most of them already have some sort of brand in that category or multiple brands. Most of them are still looking for more or at least are open to more brands in that category. Um, second category, which has been hot again for a long time is whiskey. The category continues to morph and evolve. The TTB sort of laid out some of their guidelines and rules around American single malts. So we're seeing whiskey continue to evolve, whether it's American-based, uh, European-based, Asian-based, a lot of different interesting, innovative activity there. And I think that you know investors and buyers are also watching the whiskey space carefully to see what whiskey brands or platforms or production facilities are, are interesting. Certainly, we've seen a lot of investment in M&A activity around whiskey in the last five or 10 years. Another category that's been hot for quite a while is cognac. Uh, it should be hot for quite a while. This one is probably the most challenging for investors and acquirers to look at because there's just not a lot of cognac brands or, or properties left to buy. Still a great category, but tough to invest in because of the, the scarcity. Gin is another category that's been hot for a while, probably a little more globally than US, but there still is a good level of interest around gin because of the consumer's continuing interest around that category and, and the cocktail culture around gin and all the innovations 
And then I think another category that we're going to get into next section, um, RTD spirits. RTD just means ready to drink. So anything that you can consume right out of the can or bottle effectively is an RTD. Um, and since we're focused on spirits for this discussion, we're going to focus on spirits-based RTDs. So that sort of leads us into uh, investors and buyers are looking at hot packaging types and occasions. And you know, spir- RTDs cover a lot of those occasions because they're in either a packaging type that is more convenient for the consumer and the occasion they're looking for, or it's a packaging type that is allowed at an occasion, whether it's a sports event or a concert or a beach or a park, or maybe you can't or don't want to have bottles or glass. Everything in cans right now is interesting. And certainly the consumer has moved further and further into canned products. You know, it started with regular mainstream beer. It went into craft beer. Now it's gone to hard seltzer and now it's going into spirits-based RTDs, wine-based RTDs. But Anything in a can is a, a convenient form factor for the consumer, and it's also a factor that has some environmental sustainability implications. It's got some logistics and freight benefits via the lightweight of the packaging itself. So cans are a big deal, I would say, in terms of occasions, convenience. Consumers are less patient than ever. I think you know they've been getting less and less patient over the last couple of decades as the evolution of technology and logistics and freight and certainly the Amazons and the Drizzlies of the world have given consumers the ability in most markets to get things very, very quickly, even without having to go to the store. So anything that's convenient for a consumer is interesting right now for investors and buyers because consumers want to be able to buy, purchase and consume things quickly on their time, on their schedule, when they want it, how they want it. So that's a big deal. And that sort of also ties into immediate consumption. Consumers are looking for things that maybe they don't have to divide or manipulate after they buy it, or they can just buy it, consume it right where they purchase it, or shortly thereafter, if they're buying something that's already refrigerated or something that's already ready to consume. So they're looking for you know those sort of packaging types and consumption occasions. A third sort of category that we're going to go into here is, I would say, new technologies that are affecting spirits, consumption, and sales and distribution. You know, certainly there are some new production technology innovations happening, whether it's in the packaging itself or the liquid within that packaging, different ways to age whiskey or other brown spirits, different ways to package things, different ways to package things in smaller batches. There's a lot of interesting innovation happening around that that I think has some level of interest for buyers and investors. If you also look at direct consumer and e-commerce, obviously that was evolving quite a bit pre-COVID and certainly during COVID evolved even much more aggressively. Consumers are much more open now to, I think, buying everything online or directly from the manufacturer. And that now includes spirits, where they're legally allowed to and where the, the distribution and sort of production and marketing channels make sense. So that's a big trend. And then delivery is sort of a, could be a subset of DTC e-commerce is more really sort of a corollary, I think. But, you know, anything that consumers can get delivered to their homes, you know, they've gotten used to doing that with Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash, and certainly companies like Drizzly Bar, uh, Drizzly Mini Bar have expanded that into beverage alcohol and spirits. So those sort of platforms are also interesting for investors, maybe investors that wouldn't invest in a spirits brand itself, but would invest in technologies behind the brands. And you know, how is, are these investments happening? A few examples here. There's sort of, you know, probably three or four different buckets of investment or acquisition activity as to how these transactions can take place. You know, the most simple one is a full acquisition where one company or one investor or one strategic acquirer buys an entire brand or buys a platform. We've seen many examples of this uh, around all the categories we've talked about. Gin, tequila, whiskey, platforms, RTDs, in this case, sugar-based in the case of Lone River on this page, but 
multiple kinds of, of RTDs. Um, we're seeing acquisitions all over the board. Pure investment activity, we've seen a mix of this between purely financial investors. We've seen strategic investors, some that are sort of in between. But again, investors are looking to invest in brands that fit where the consumer is and where they're going. So they've been investing in RTDs. They've been investing in platforms that have whiskey, tequila, other brands that meet current consumers' need states, or they're investing in production platforms like MPL, which makes some of their own products, but also make a lot of third-party or private label products. And we're seeing investors, you know, again, this, this list here is a short subset, but this covers financial and strategics and some strategics that are not spirits companies themselves. So you've got, you know, non-spirits companies getting into this space because of their interest in where the consumer is going and the consumer's interest in spirits. Another way we're seeing sort of this investment m and activity is through things that actually don't involve cash or maybe not much cash. Um, we're seeing companies licensing each other's brands to move those brands into spirits occasions or beverage alcohol occasions. We're seeing them do joint ventures with brands, partnerships, all sorts of different sort of either non-cash or low-cash structures where, you know, companies that either weren't in spirits or beverage alcohol are getting into it, or they're letting beverage alcohol companies use their brands or their trademarks to create new products and new categories. And then you know, this kind of ties into a broader theme of industry convergence that we're seeing across a lot of the beverage community, alcohol and non-alcohol. We're seeing alcohol and non-alcohol companies sort of get together either on licensing brands or doing JVs on products, joint ventures, which we discussed on the last page. We're seeing non-out companies buy entire beverage alcohol platforms in the case of Monster buying Canarchy. And Monster just announced uh, some more plans to do some of their own brands within the beverage alcohol space. So that's obviously interesting. You know, you're seeing classic combinations like Jack and Coke now come together in a formal capacity where you've actually got the Coca-Cola trademark on a can mixed with Jack Daniels, which is pretty wild to see after all these decades. And then another trend we're seeing beyond non-out and out being together, but we're seeing Strategics within one tier or segment of beverage alcohol move into another tier. You know, some big examples of this, obviously a limited subset, but Gallo getting into spirits, RTDs with High Noon. Obviously, Gallo was already into spirits, traditional spirits prior to this with uh, New Amsterdam and some of their other projects, and they had done well with those. And now they're heavily into spirits-based RTDs and doing well with that. Anheuser-Busch, similarly, got into spirits-based RTDs by purchasing the Cutwater brand uh, and is doing very well with that. Again, Diageo getting into, I would say, you know, sugar-based RTDs, but playing more off of spirits occasion, acquiring Lone River Ranch Water. And then I think, you know, lastly, as assuming you're a owner or a director or someone who's trying to grow or found a, a spirits brand or a spirits-based brand, you know, what does all this mean for you? If you're starting a brand, if you're running a brand or a company, if you have aspirations to do so, how does this make you think about the world going forward and where the consumer is going? And there's a few things I would encourage you to do and a few things I would encourage you not to do. The first of the things that I think you should do is obviously watch where the consumer is going. You need to have an idea of where the consumer is today, where they're going to be in a year or five years, et cetera. Because if you're not building your brand or your company for where the consumer is going, you're already getting left behind. So make sure you're watching the trends, trends that go beyond spirits, trends that go beyond spirits RTDs, trends that go beyond beverage alcohol even. See where the consumer is going in non-alcohol. See where the consumer is going in food. See where they're going in other parts of their life and try to figure out what that mean, means for a spirits brand or a spirits-based brand. Second thing I would say to do is innovate authentically where you can. And I think authentically here is the key. I think a lot of companies try to innovate. Some of those work, some don't. 
I think they work best usually when they're more authentic. If you've got a brand and you want to innovate into a category that's light years away from where you currently are, it might work, but it probably won't. You probably don't have the, the permission from the consumer to go into that area if they don't think of your brand already as sort of related to that or sort of naturally going there. So, you know, don't innovate where you're not going to be authentically perceived by the consumer. Third thing I would say is to be open to new ideas for partnerships, collaborations, joint ventures, licenses, uh, anything that's sort of unique and unusual, but maybe gets you into a new category, maybe in a way that's fairly capital efficient uh, or low cost, or maybe something is just with a, another good brand partner that would be a really interesting collaboration, something that benefits your brand, benefits their brand at the same time. You know, be open to those sort of things. You know, a lot of the interesting things happening across all beverage right now are happening as a result of collaborations and partnerships and not always happening because one company is deciding to do something on their own. And the fourth thing I would say here on the things to do is if you have excess production capacity, whether that's distilling, packaging, bottling, aging, whatever the case may be, if you've got excess capacity and if there is demand from other parties to use some of that capacity to get into new products or categories or categories you're already in, think about using that to help those parties. It could offset some of your cost and it also may give you ideas of things that you could also do. And the list of things to don't do, you know, some of these are fairly obvious based on the things you should do. But first of all, don't take your brand where it probably shouldn't go or where you or the consumer is not going to give it permission to go or isn't going to look for it. You know, you don't want to dilute your efforts on your core brand by moving your brand into a place where it shouldn't be. Secondly, don't innovate just to innovate. Again, innovate where it makes sense for your brand. Innovate where there's real opportunity and significant upside for you and, you know, not going into smaller markets per se. Thirdly, I would say, you know, don't turn down opportunities that might seem sort of unusual or sort of off base at first, but, you know, the more you dig into them, there may be some really compelling upside there. So don't turn away opportunities without really giving them some, some full thought around if it makes sense for you and your brand and your company. I hope that's helpful. And you can find us online at arlingtoncapitaladvisors.com. We're always happy to talk to people and brand owners and founders and to try to help them think through the future of where their brand is going and where the consumer is going. Hi, everyone. It's Emily again. We really appreciate you tuning into this episode and hope you found it valuable. This podcast is produced by Emmett Strack and co-hosted by me, Emily Pennington, and Andres Correa. If you like the show, we'd love to hear your feedback. The best way to do that is to give us a rating or leave a review on your preferred platform. If you're interested in getting involved with the podcast, send us an email at psu at parkstreet.com, which is also listed in the show notes. You can find more educational materials on our website, parkstreet.com, or YouTube channel, search Park Street University. Thanks a lot, and cheers until next time.